This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Good morning, Apex. As Laura said, my name is Laura Fine Ledford. I'm one of the pastors serving here with the Apex family of faith in the area of leadership development. And um, I'm so grateful to be here with you today and for the gift of technology that gathers us even now. Wherever you are, I invite you to hold open your palms in this moment as we hear the word of life that comes to us from the book of Exodus, the 17th chapter. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but I am not my best self when I am afraid. I feel it in my brain. My thoughts race. I have trouble concentrating. I look for ways to numb the fear, to distract myself. I feel it in my body, tension in my shoulders, anxiety that flutters in my chest like hummingbirds who can't escape. I feel it in my relationships. I'm more snippy, more accusatory, more suspicious, more stingy. When I'm afraid, it feels like my heart is beginning to close up, to calcify, to Harden like a rock. Which is what I try to remember when I hear this story from Exodus. This story about God's children caught in the middle of nowhere, hungry, thirsty, disoriented. God's children were afraid. Living in the midst of yet another trial in a long line of trials. You see, they were out there in the middle of nowhere, wandering in the wilderness because they had been freed finally from slavery in Egypt. God had sent a man finally after years of God's people crying out to God. God sent a man named Moses who led them from freedom, from slavery, and the whole lot of them. They arrived there at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army on their back. And when they turn and see their former captors, These enraged enemies closing down on them. The Israelites are certain that the end is near, but God answers. As Moses lifts his staff and strikes the water, it splits in half, leaving a clear, dry path so that the people can cross through the middle. 
And as they move across to safety, they see that the waters close back together on top of Pharaoh's army. They're safe and free. So they celebrate and they dance in gratitude. The women break out their tambourines. The children sing songs. God has delivered them. But not one page flip. And the Israelites are certain again that the end is near. They look around at current circumstances in the wilderness and they can't figure out what they're going to eat. There's no food. But God answers. God sends manna, a fine substance that they can gather up and eat every day. God provides food in the wilderness to sustain them. But not one page flip. And the Israelites are certain, again, that the end is near. They look around at current circumstances in the wilderness and they can't figure out what they're going to drink. There's no water. God's people, as we hear in the story today, are at their breaking point. First, the terrifying escape from their captors, then the lack of food, the discombobulation of literally living in a wilderness place with no map, no endpoint, and now they can't find water. The people who just a few pages ago were dancing with tambourines are now anticipating imminent death. Where is the food, Moses? We're going to die without water, Moses. The fear, it slides in like an insidious concrete, hardening their hearts against God and against one another. Is the Lord with us or not, they ask. We can see it in our minds. Parents looking down at their children wondering if they brought them to this place only to watch them thirst to death. We can see in our minds Moses looking at his increasingly agitated friends, wondering what he can do to calm them, to care for them. Moses looking around this wilderness place at the rocks on the ground, wondering if his friends' hardened hearts will lead them to pick up those stones and turn against him with violence. Fear ripples through this story. Maybe you understand. Maybe fear rippled through you this week, hardening your hearts in ways that you had not expected. Maybe you have been afraid as the word pandemic settles into our bones. Maybe this new world of social distancing feels a little bit like a wilderness, and maybe you've even looked around and wondered, is the Lord with us or not? What you won't hear me say today is that fear is inconsequential, that if we are feeling those hummingbirds of anxiety fluttering in our chest that were somehow unfaithful. You will not hear me say that we are silly for feeling disappointed by canceled plans or frustrated by trying to figure out work and childcare. You will not hear me say that it's wrong to feel panicked at the anticipation of lost wages, saddened at the looming isolation that comes if we are not very intentional about connecting with one another. You will not hear me discount those feelings. Because discounting normal human emotions, stuffing them down, 
scoffing at them only makes them fester. Is the Lord with us or not? We are allowed to feel this and to say it. Scripture is unequivocal in that regard. 70% of the prayers in the book of Psalms are prayers of lament. In fact, we have an entire book in the Bible, the book of Lamentations, that's dedicated to the practice of naming our fears, our questions, our grief, even our rage. Scripture gives us language to name the things that harden our hearts. And yet, God is not content to leave us in our lament. Is the Lord with us or not? God's people shouted. These people are ready to stone me, Moses shouted, and God hears. God hears their cries and responds. Moses, God says, take your staff and gather your leaders and go to the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will pour forth from it. So Moses does, and water pours forth from a place that no one would expect. God takes the very weapon that Moses fears and turns it into a place of rescue, a rock of deliverance, a stone of sustenance. And perhaps that's the call for us in these days, to name the fears that harden our hearts and then hunt for the ways that God is sustaining us in places that we would never suspect. And I do mean hunt, because it takes work and skill and practice to notice God's good sustenance in wilderness times and places. It may even feel as difficult as cracking open a rock to find it, but God's care and love for us is available everywhere, always. But we have to be willing detectives. A couple of years ago, I met a willing detective. It was in the time after our state experienced Hurricane Matthew, and I traveled to Lumberton with a few other folks. We had been sent there to do yard work um, as a home was being restored by the wonderful disaster relief folks with the North Carolina Conference. I had been sent um, outside that day with the task of trying to harvest a prickly bush out of the yard that didn't want to be harvested when I saw a neighbor come out of her house across the street. And my work ethic when it comes to yard maintenance is not great. So I was really happy to have a break in that moment. The neighbor came over and she introduced herself to me. She said, my name is Miss Layla. She said, I am 96 years old. She said, I just returned to my house three weeks ago. And I asked her, where did you live when your house was being repaired? She told me that her daughter and her sister had died right after the flooding. She said, I didn't have any family to stay with, and so I've been living in a motel for the last year. And I said to her, gosh, that must have been really difficult. I can only imagine what it must have been like to live away from home for that long, thinking I was being very pastoral. <laughs> And she responded, my life in the motel was so blessed. And then she started telling me about her girls. These young women who worked at the motel, the ones who cleaned her room, she said they called me grandmama and they checked in on me every day. She said, my girls were so good to me. I was so blessed to be there. I'm sure if 
I were to drive by that motel in Lumberton, where Miss Layla stayed for a whole year, it would look to me like a place of desolation, like nothing good could come out of it. And yet here she was, a woman with enough detective skills for the divine that she called herself blessed in that place. Here were these young women who had very likely had their own lives turned upside down by the hurricane and the flooding, who were very likely making minimum wage cleaning motel rooms, who chose to care lavishly for a 96-year-old woman who had been displaced from her home. Water pouring forth from rocks, goodness and holiness everywhere if we are willing to dig. But I am convinced that it takes practice, diligent practice. My guess is that Miss Layla didn't just discover how to notice God's goodness in those days at the motel. My guess is that Miss Layla had been practicing for years, her whole life perhaps, so that when she found herself in a wilderness place, she knew how to look for water out of rocks. There's a book that I recently became familiar with. It's called The Book of Delights. And the author's name is Ross Gay, and Ross was going through a bit of a wilderness season when he turned 42, and so he gave himself a challenge. He said that every day for a year, he would look for something that delighted him, and he would write about it. And so in this book, we find where Ross wrote about tomato plants, and he wrote about nicknames, and he wrote about fireflies, and he wrote about reckless air quotes. He wrote about the day that a 15-year-old came up to him in a coffee shop and just stood there next to him with her hand held out, waiting until Ross looked up from his laptop. And then she said to him like a motivational speaker, working on your paper? Good job, you. And then she gave him a high five. That is delightful. Now when he started, Ross thought that he was going to have to be incredibly diligent in order to come up with something that delighted him every single day. But what he found was that once he got started, delight was everywhere. Once the discipline of noticing delight became a habit, Ross was inundated with it. And he also found that he was able to wrangle delight out of things that didn't really seem all that delightful, like bindweed. If you're a gardener, you know what this invasive, destructive weed is like, how it takes over everything. But in one of his essays, Ross is able to write about how when he dug up the bindweed, it got him closer to his squash that he loved so much. And that as he was down there in the dirt, he saw the clover that he had planted that would soon take over the ground and force out the weeds. Delight everywhere. I would like to offer a very specific prescription for our hearts in these days, especially if you find that your heart is calcifying with fear. The first part of the prescription is to name aloud the things that are making you afraid. I want you to shout them to God or whisper them or write them down. If you're brave, I want you to say them to a friend. You can even email them to me. I'm afraid for the people I love who could become sick. I'm afraid for the ways that social distancing will hurt businesses and hourly workers. 
I'm afraid that my children will never go back to school. <laughs> I'm afraid that actually nobody knows what they're doing, and this is, in fact, the beginning of the end, and we all need to just fight to the death over toilet paper and dig a bunker. It can be rational or not. Just name it. But for everything you name that makes you afraid, I want you to hunt for something that delights you. Become a detective of the divine who notices where God is busting clover and squash out of weeds, water out of rocks, where God is wringing blessing out of desolation. The videos of our Italian sisters and brothers who have gone out onto their balconies and shouted out of their windows singing together and playing music. The teachers and parents who mobilized immediately to make sure that students who need food are going to have it over these next few weeks. The, the Chinese business person who has vowed to give us 500,000 testing kits and a million face masks. The way that light comes through your living room window at 11 a.m., but you never got to see it because you were always at work. Make it especially challenging and look for delight in the situations that seem delightless, for holiness in the people who seem least holy. Give thanks for the cat-like reflexes of the person at Target who leapt up and beat you to the last bottle of hand soap. My God, the athletic prowess. Give thanks for the way that your child can whine with such a range of pitches. It takes creativity. It keeps things fresh. What a delight. And as you find these things, I want you to shout them to God. Whisper them, write them down. Even better, make a pact with a friend or a relative that every single day you will check in with one another through a phone call or a text so that you can share the holy goodness that you are discovering. God is waiting, even now in this wilderness place, to crack open our hearts that are hardened with fear to inundate us with delight that will, I believe with my whole heart, pour forth like water. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.